Hello, this is Lee Randall, and I'm here at the National Museum of Scotland thinking about Catherine the Great, an enlightened empress. Catherine II of Russia wanted the world to know that change was afoot. She vowed to build, promote science and theater, and became one of the era's most avid art collectors. I'm here with Godfrey Evans, who's the curator of the exhibition, to talk about what's going to be on show. Maybe you can talk me through a little bit. What are some of the items that we're going to get to see that have come over from Russia for this exhibition? Well, we've got almost 600 items, so that's a hard to choose how to really focus down on just a few. But obviously, we have got some wonderful old master paintings collected by the Empress and then fantastic cameos. She was a great cameo collector. And we've got examples from some of the, the principal collections that she, she bought from, as well as Roman sculptures from, believe it or not, a collection at Wimbledon, outside London. Now, Catherine famously collected something like four, or was it 40,000 paintings during her reign? She bought a collection from a dealer whose name I cannot possibly pronounce in Berlin, was it? She bought the Walpole collection. It was one with 500 paintings that included Giorgione's Judith and Raphael's uh, Holy Family. She even bought a collection out from under the nose of Frederick the Great, didn't she? She did indeed. She was at war with Frederick the Great. Her husband, in actual fact, stopped the war when the Russians were winning. So Catherine wasn't very friendly towards um, Frederick the Great. Frederick the Great got into financial problems and he couldn't buy a great big collection which a man called Gutskowski had put together. He was a Berlin businessman. He had debts with the, the Russians all sorts of financial problems. Anyhow, Catherine, right under Frederick's nose, went in and plucked out 225 paintings which Kotsowski had got lined up for Frederick the Great, and that started her going. And as you say, she bought many great collections. The one which you were referring to, the Crozat collection in 1771-72, was 500, 600 works, and then she goes on and she buys the great collection of Sir Robert Walpole, our first uh, British Prime Minister. He died in 1745 with great debts, and his family needed to, to sell the works, and in 1778, the Russian um, ambassador negotiated the sale of anything between about 180 and 204 paintings from this great British collection, and needless to say, it was an outcry. Now, Catherine was not um, wandering around the great cities of Europe with her checkbook out. She used art dealers, did she not? How did she work with these art dealers, and how did she know whom to trust? That's a good question. In some cases, she used um, her ambassadors. Uh, from the case of the, the Walpole collection, she used her ambassador, splendidly named Musin Pushkin. But there were others um, that she used. Um, for instance, there was Count Ivan Shivalov in Rome. He was a favorite of her predecessor, the Empress Elizabeth, and he was sort of frozen out of St. Petersburg. He went off to Rome to collect for himself, and he also ended up collecting for the Empress. But there are other people, Denis Diderot, the, the famous French philosopher, was kindly disposed towards Catherine and as well as writing to her about philosophy and other matters, he acted as an art agent for her. So she had this network of people in most of the European capitals and she was buying blocks of paintings, very large blocks of paintings. In some cases, people actually went to St. Petersburg. There's a wonderful Scot called John Udney who hailed from Aberdeen and he visited St. Petersburg in 1768 and arranged for Catherine to buy 60 of his paintings, but they only arrived in 1779 on the same ship as Walpole's collection. So it takes quite a while in some cases for these negotiations, these purchases and these shipments to actually go through 
and we've got paintings, obviously, from the Walpole collection and the Utney collection in our exhibition. Now, we know that famously Catherine was not a big fan of music, but that she was a huge fan of architecture and she went on building jags and had practically a non-stop building site around her at all times. But do we know what she felt about the various works of art she collected, whether it's the paintings or the cameos or even the porcelain? No, we don't. What seems to have happened is that she realised that there was a shortage of old master paintings in St. Petersburg, and she set to remedy that. It looks as though the first um, acquisition from Berlin was fortuitous. It was despite Frederick the Great, and then suddenly she's inspired and she goes on and she collects lots and lots of paintings very, very quickly. By 1774, she'd got 2,080 paintings. With the Walpole collection, she gets another 180, 200 paintings in 1778, 79, and that more or less satisfies her. She's never an actual fact saying, I must have a painting by Raphael, I must have a painting by Titian or anything like that. She's just taking in huge quantities, and that satisfies her. Her, her appetite is satiated by, say, 1780, and then she turns around and she starts collecting cameos, and she suffers from cameo fevers, cameo sickness, and goes on to really do more or less the same as she's done with paintings, to collect en masse. She gets this great collection, the Orléans collection, in 1787. It takes them two years to negotiate, and she spends a lot of money, about 40,000 leaves. But she's also, again, buying in Britain. She buys the collection of Lord Algernon Percy, the second son of the first Duke of Northumberland, the year before. So she's, she's going around picking up cameos, just as she's done paintings. The interesting thing about cameos is that it's not just her, her two lovers, Alexander Lanskoy and Alexander Dmitriev Mamonov, they are even more interested in cameos than she is. Her daughter-in-law, she engraves um, cameos, and so you've got this little group getting really enthusiastic and ecstatic about cameos, and so obviously cameos becomes the thing for the 1780s. And is it true that Catherine herself worked on a lathe and made cameos as well? That's what they say. Um, I haven't seen an example of her work. We've got examples by her daughter-in-law, Maria Fedorovna. We've got examples by um, Dmitriev um, Mamonov, but uh, we haven't got one by Catherine herself. It seems that monarchs at this stage wanted to, to do work by themselves. Louis XVI, of course, built repaired clocks. Um, many rulers in the 18th century, they turn ivory on lathes. It's, it's just a thing that they do. They hadn't got television. They had to amuse themselves somehow. My sense of Catherine is less of a woman fired by a great aesthetic drive, but more that she needed to acquire in order to be seen to be empire building. Is that accurate or is that inaccurate? I think it's, it's accurate. I think here we've got somebody who is determined to show the prestige and the power of Russia. She's doing that in many ways. In one way, obviously, she is sending out her generals and her admirals to win wars and to expand the boundaries of Russia but she's wanting people to come to St. Petersburg and see that it is a very, very powerful city, full of wonderful architecture, wonderful works of art, and therefore she has to get lots and lots of paintings, lots and lots of decorative art items into the capital very, very quickly. Generally speaking, she imports them, but she's also, obviously, patronising artists, architects, the imperial tapestry works, the imperial porcelain works. She's getting stuff from the armories at Tula, 
Um, here is a great, great patron and collector, probably the outstanding patron collector of the, of the 18th century when it comes to sheer numbers of items. So did she then do her bit for Russians themselves, employing them, training them, I mean, Russian craftspeople? Yes, I think so. The interesting thing is that she will bring architects um, from outside, but there you have in the Imperial Tapestry um, Factory almost a policy of just employing Russians. You have 150 Russians producing tapestries at the Imperial Tapestry Factory, which isn't just one small operation. It's a whole number of buildings spread along the River Neva and elsewhere. And as I say, just Russians there. One thing we haven't spoken about is porcelain. Now, I seem to recall that Catherine commissioned a very lavish service from Sevres in France for Potemkin. But she collected quite a bit of porcelain over her years, didn't she? Yes, she did. She acquired ceramics from Britain and also St. Petersburg and in Moscow. But it's the cameo service which is out without doubt the most important. It was commissioned in 1776 from the great French royal porcelain factory at Sèvres, just outside of Paris. And it was a service which was supposed to really show her secret husband that she really loved him and that he was a very, very important person. And Catherine is obviously into neoclassical art and into cameos. And she asks that the service is decorated in the neoclassical style and with cameos. And because it's for the Empress of all the Russias, Louis XVI of France allows his own cameo collection to be copied. So these tiny, tiny little versions of his cameos are made and then they're inserted into the porcelain plates and the other items. So this is a very, very technically interesting and indeed unique form of decoration. The French royal family didn't have anything like this. And this was a big service. It was for 60 settings, 744 pieces, and it cost the astonishing sum of 328,000 livres. So you're really talking of, you know, a million pounds. It's, it's that sort of, of sum. And Potemkin was delighted. His gift to the Empress wasn't very expensive. It was an Angora cat, but it must have been a wonderful moggy cat, because the Empress referred to it as the cat of all cats. And it pleased her. What didn't please her though was the cost of the service. She demurred at the price and it took the Russians 24 years to pay off the, the sum. We have here some of the curators from the Hermitage Museum in Russia and we're going to ask each one what their favorite pieces are in the exhibition and why they're notable. Uh, I'm uh, Vyacheslav Fyodorov. I'm the head of the uh, Department of the History of the Russian Art and Culture in the Hermitage Museum. Uh, items are favorite because all of them are masterpieces. But I'd like to say about the small model of Ferne Castle of Voltaire. Uh, it was one of the most ambitious project of Catherine the Great because uh, Voltaire, he was friend of her and he wrote a lot of letters, many letters to him and he wrote it to uh, Catherine the Great but uh, after his death he decided, she decided to make in Russia a memorial complex just near St. Petersburg in her favorite residence in Tsarskoe Silo so-called, one of the most interesting and the most famous summer palaces of St. Petersburg. And uh, that's why she bought the model of this castle uh, of Walter and all the documents around this castle, all the projects, all the uh, engravings, and so on, so on, so on, so on. Now these materials are divided into two parts. One of them, the most interesting, is in the Hermitage Museum. The 
model itself, and all the documents, paper materials are in the library of St. Petersburg. Uh, my name is Ivan Ivan Garmanov. I am a curator of furniture, Russian furniture in the State Hermitage Museum. Between the furniture, I'd like to tell you about some pieces. An armchair of Mr. Potemkin. Potemkin was uh, a minister of defense in the period of Catherine the Great, so he used this magnificent armchair in general it is a French design because uh, Russian furniture had a strong influence in that period from Great Britain furniture and French furniture. On one hand English furniture is more convenient for using and French furniture is uh, more luxurious. Then Charles Cameron, a Scottish architect designer, worked in Tsarske Selo in the period of Catherine the Great, so a couple of armchair from Chinese room from Tsarske Selo, and it's a period about 1780s. My, my name is Elizabeth Renner, Elisaveta Renner in Russian, and I'm a keeper of British and Scandinavian painting. And uh, I think it's very important that they include in this exhibition the portrait of Catherine the Great on horseback by Danish painter Vigilius Eriksson, because it's not just a portrait, it's a painting and it's a historical painting because she is depicted uh, at a very important moment then, uh, after coup d'etat. She went to St. Petersburg on horseback, on her horse brilliant, dressed as a man, holding very strong the uh, horse's utensils, uh, showing that she will rule Russia as a man. And so this is the beginning of her ruling of this great empire. Catherine established Hermitage, and uh, she understood the importance of art as a weapon of power. Uh, with art could talk with people without words. I am Marina Lopato. I'm a curator of uh, European silver in the Hermitage Museum. And uh, I um, should tell that our collection is very interesting. When I um, chose for this exhibition objects, I think about what will be interesting for uh, Scotland people. Uh, so that's why we... Um, which is the terrain, um, very interesting. It's uh, made by Paris master Auguste. Um, Catherine uh, the Great uh, commissioned many uh, silver uh, services for official and as a present for her lover. For example, where, um, there were very uh, important services uh, for governors, different governor of uh, Russia. There were more than 20 uh, silver set. It was commissioned uh, in um, Paris, London, in London, very interesting, very important master made these service, services and uh, in Augsburg and St. Petersburg. Catherine is full of good stories and anybody who wants to learn more about those stories and see these amazing objects should come to the National Museum of Scotland. The exhibition opens on the 13th of July and closes on the 21st of October, so plenty of time to come down.